Building Years Podcast with Justin Alexio and Jeremiah Watkins. New episodes every Wednesday. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Building Years. This is Jeremiah Watkins. Justin Alexio will not be with us today. He could not make it, but I'm very excited for our guest. It's Friday. You know what that means? There's a guest in the house on the podcast, and I'm very excited to bring this guy on. He is the creator and host of the Goddamn Comedy Jam, one of my best friends. Please welcome Josh Adam Myers to the show, everybody. I lived Second City Wonderland murders. That is what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> and you have a, your apartment is just one big. Uh, what is it called? Vision board. Yeah. It's just all one big vision board. There's Star Wars stuff. You're like, <laughs> like one day, man. One day, one be day one I'll be a stormtrooper. <laughs> I'll be a stormtrooper one day. This comedy <laughs> thing doesn't work out, right? This is great. Thank you for having me on after 50 episodes. Uh, actually, this is episode 258. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm okay. saving it, man. Okay, well, this is now we got an audience, so they'll be able to really. Exactly. They'll be able to really hear this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you who do not know or are not familiar with the goddamn Comedy Jam, get familiar with it. Josh, uh, describe the show for our listeners. The show, uh, which you are on and are a huge, huge part of the show and its success, uh, it's a uh, it's a stand-up show, but it's it's got music in it where stand-up comedians will do, uh, you know, eight to ten minutes of stand-up, and then they tell a story about why they chose the song they're about to perform, and then they sing it with a live band. Uh, and it's it's like a stand-up show where the, the audience is on every joke and they're there. And then it's a storytelling show where they're getting either a funny or emotional or, or whatever kind of story. It could be about the artist, time in their life. doesn't make a difference. Just relate to the audience why they told, why they're going to choose to sing this song. And then once they go into the song, I mean, with you and Johnny and... And just the band, it just becomes a, a full-on like rock experience where, where or rock or hip hop or rhythm and blues, whatever you want. But it just the audience stands up, and it's just it's insane. And um, I mean, we've we've taken it on the road a little bit, and then the future is looking really bright for it. Where we've got a bunch of stuff coming up. We'll be on, in a lot of different cities in the new year, and but we'll always have uh, we'll be at the Lyric Theater in Los Angeles once a month. So check. Um, the the GD Comedy Jam on Twitter and uh, at the GD Comedy Jam on Instagram and that's where you see all the updates and Facebook and all that stuff and you can follow me and I'll be posting stuff as well at Josh Adam Myers M E Y E R S. Well, thanks so much for doing the podcast, Josh. Uh, that's all the time that we have. <laughs> that's it. All right, that's how I really want to do. The Wizards game starts in forty minutes, so I'll be back home. I feel like we're we're doing like an old school movie where we did the credits first. It's like, where can we find you, Josh? <laughs> do you do the credits at the end? Uh, usually, you should do well, them at the okay. beginning. You should do them at the beginning. Oh, really? Because I think comics. Because then it's like, because a lot of people once you go into that, people will tune out. Will tune out. And, like, if you do them at the beginning, everybody's like, oh, fuck, I got to listen to these credits before I get to the juicy nuggets of information. And then they love you by the end, and then they'll go back to the beginning. They'll go back to the beginning, yeah. Or or you do it again at the end. Yeah. 
You do it again at the end. Just welcome to Plugs, the podcast hosted by Jeremiah. Follow my mom at Sharon Myers, uh, Sharon Sablowski Myers on Facebook. She'll be posting about what she had for dinner today and uh, her political view because that's all she does. She has one political view. Oh, no, 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 no. It's more, it's like, you know, uh, I can't believe people would vote for Trump. You know, he, they're, they're, they're getting, he's getting on, uh, on uh, Hillary Clinton for her husband being an adulterer uh, when he's been an adulterer his whole life. And then the next post will be, had chicken piccata for, <laughs> for dinner. And it was delicious. That's my mom nonstop. So. I met Sharon, and she is an absolute angel. You stayed at the house, yeah, and she loved you. She loved everybody. She was happy to, to have people over, I think. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. She what? made us dinner. We uh, so earlier in the year in November, uh, Josh mentioned that I'm on uh, the goddamn comedy jam. Basically, what I do on the show uh, with Josh, um, uh, I am a, a roadie character named Mosh Pit. Mm-hmm. Mosh Pit. Basically, my impression of you, Josh. It's not very good, but you know it dude, works. It sounds just <laughs> like it. It's nothing like dude. That. It sounds. It sounds nothing, nothing like me. Vapor. <laughs> oh, we have so much fun together when we when we're making fun of my voice. And, <laughs> it's it's and me. it's a blast. It is. So I do that. Uh, I do this roadie character with Johnny Scordis, <laughs> who is Razorblade, and uh, so uh, I went with uh, with Josh and the goddamn band mm-hmm. on an East Coast tour That's in great. November. Uh, we did it as part of the New York Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. And it was a freaking blast, man. It was it was uh, definitely one of the highlights of I think all of our years for sure. Yeah, you know it's it was one of the more nerve wracking shows, and I couldn't enjoy it. I think you saw me; you had to constantly go, "Dude, it's going perfect." But I was like, That's all like pr- all I kept thinking about was the lighting board. That I've was assigned all that. I thought about. I've assigned that as part of my job on the show is is namasteing and calming you <laughs> before the yeah, show. Yeah, that's totally true. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> if one thing's wrong in the show, I, I just sit there and I just go over that. But I think that's why it's taken off because I care about it so much. I want it yeah. to always be fucking gun cuss, right? Yeah, yeah I say can, whatever. You can't. You know? <laughs> like, There's a no cussing clause in this house. Um, but yeah, I, I think I care about it so much because it's it's like exactly what I want to do and I want it to be perfect and uh, you know it with with your show there are always going to be once something's a hit there's going to be imitations yeah. and uh like we've talked about and it's like you could you could try to do what we're doing at the jam you can try to do what you're doing at it's improvised stand up show but it's like stand up on the spot I'm sorry but it's it's we're you know we are doing the best that I think we possibly can and it's I love that people I still get blown away that that people love it as much because I didn't start it to get anything out of it I started it because it was just I want to have fun and that's the the whole point of uh, of of what we I think we've gotten into in this career you know if you're not enjoying the journey up and all the sh- different shitty shows you've done and, and, and stuff to get you to be where you are, then, then there's no point of doing it. Yeah. Do you want to leave me? You want to tell me where we're going? Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Or do you, do you, okay. No, you no, tell no. me. You, <laughs> no, lead, I, you lead me. I'm, I've got, dude, I'll, I'll tell you the, this is the, uh, the Ken Burns documentary of Josh Adam journey. So as I mentioned, the show is called the building years before we got started. I want people to know now that they know. Uh, what would you do if I sang out of tune? And just showing just me and you like an open mic signing up for Sunset Grill. All in all black in, and white all for black whatever and white, reason. But fast motion. Like. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so go ahead. It's a building years. So it's the building years. So we mentioned, uh, let's say some of the other things that's been going on with the jam, and then and then we'll go into uh, your past a little bit, like pre-jam. So we're doing like uh, so basically, like I get it. So we're doing like the end of Raging Bull, the beginning of Raging Bull, where it shows uh, Jake Lamada where he is now, and then we're gonna go back and show how he got there. So um, so we also we took the show to Montreal this year. We, we took that sh- was yeah, that was incredible. That yeah. was that was probably I think I had more fun in Montreal than I had at New York because uh, I now know how to play to an audience that big of seven hundred and fifty doing the show. Mm-hmm. Like like the stuff that I do in the Hollywood show, it's easy because there's only two hundred people, and if I go into the audience and start making fun of one guy. Everybody can see that guy. Right. What I did, what I should have done in New York was take the guy I was messing with and bring him on stage. On stage so everybody, so everybody gets exactly. Yeah. And that's what it, this is all. Like I said, this is all just a learning process. We yeah. never played a room that big. And uh, Montreal, we took it to Montreal Comedy Festival for six night run, sold out every night except for one. Which the night we didn't sell out was probably our best show. I think as a group. Because we all just gave everything to those 30 people. But we were up again. We were in a bad time slot. My my fault. We were the 7 o'clock show. Excuse me. And we need to be a later night. 10 o'clock, midnight, something like that. Yeah. Like it's, it needs to be the big party at the end. And if we go back, I think that's where it will be. Um, there's, a, there's a TV show in the works. I can't tell the details yet. Uh, but it's sold and it's going to be great uh, when it goes. Um and uh, we've got a bunch of festivals coming up. It's going to be a busy year for us. Um, so busy that we're turn- we have to turn down certain things, and I-, and I like that. You know what I mean? It's- That's crazy. Isn't that crazy to think? I mean, I, I it's, well, we, you know, there's, once you get, like, a number from a festival then and that's higher than the other ones then that's kind of that's the new standard that's your right? new standard and there's no reason that because it's a big show that that me the band and yourself uh and and Johnny and and even Nat like who's the producer can make a living at this uh, on the road which is what I think I didn't think the plan would ever be but it's just you know it's, it's evolving it's, into that I, I'm just I, I'm dude I'm in shock and and I still like what's so cool now is that like I announced the lineup and where I used to freak out about ticket sales I don't even I check like every other like maybe like every four days or five days just to see where we're at and I'm even if we're not like like we got the next show coming up and we're like probably at like 95 right now and that means there's like you know 50 tickets left yeah I'm just like eh, I really don't care I do not care anymore. I just like well, it'll it'll either sell out or it'll come super super close to it, but it will be packed. It will be packed and it will be a dope dope show. And you know, and the coolest thing, I think that you you appreciate as well is it's not like I got to hunt down the comics that I want anymore because they're that's calling what's, me. That's what's awesome, man. People people are asking you about doing your show and and name give give our listeners an example. Just some of the names that have performed on the goddamn comedy jam. Louis C.K., Bill Burr, Sarah Silverman, um, Jim Jeffries, Jeff Ross, uh, Adam Devine, um, Margaret Cho, um, Harlan Williams. I mean, we've it's and a lot of them have performed multiple times. Yeah. Um, We've got, you know, I've, I've talked to Chappelle and, you know, when the timing's right, he's in. You know, yeah, it's, and it's I think exciting. that'll be great. Um, 
we're going to get everybody. I think we're going to get, we'll get Kevin Hart. We'll get everybody. We'll get the biggest comics out there. Like we'll, it's just, cause I think, I think why the bigger comics enjoy it so much is cause it takes people out of their comfort zone. I mean, I mean, you know it cause you did it and you're, you have a great voice. Like you, like Jeremiah did the show in, in Philadelphia and in DC as one, as he played Moshpit, but then you also played yourself and yeah. you did the set story and song and you crushed it. And it's like, but you could, you know that. Like, I mean, I mean, even though you had done it, I mean, weren't you a little like nervous and apprehensive, not apprehensive, but you're just like, all right, now I gotta, now I gotta fucking sing a song now. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're a performer and you, I, I think it's a little bit different for somebody that, that knows the environment and knows how welcoming it is. Right. But for someone like Burr, oh man, you yeah. know, the greatest thing Burr said to me, and he said it to me, I think you were right there. Was when we were leaving, he headlined Madison Square Garden, which we uh, we played uh, to about you know fifty people. But we we, jammed, did, we did jam during the sound at, check during the sound check at Madison Square Garden with Burr and Ben Bailey from Cash Cab and the whole band and you on sax what, playing you playing saxophone on like saxophone random rock songs that didn't highway have, to hell highway to hell <laughs> right, you remember you know that Pantera song when's the when's the sax solo or, um, but. But we, even Burr said to me, he's like, dude, it's like the reason I didn't get nervous to play in front of 14,000 people is because your show makes mm-hmm. me nervous. And that's what I love about it because I've been doing stand up for 20 some odd years. But, you know, it's taking me completely out of my comfort zone. And I don't know how it will help me in my career, but he, he knows that it's going to. And you can see now, it's like, you know, he, he pulled me aside and was like, dude, 14,000 people was nothing, dude. It's, I'm more nervous playing to the 200 people at the jam and that's why it's great and um i mean it was so it was like like for this month's show dude like i was i was literally in bed with my girlfriend and i got a phone call from from kevin nealon i don't know kevin nealon and he's like hey i heard about your show jade told me about it jade catapretta get to give her a shout out follow her and all that social media and stuff and she was just like at the jade movie at the Jade movie, yeah. And she but she was just like she told him about the show and he just wanted to do it. So she called me and gave him the phone and you know, it's like it's just it's easy now. It's super easy. I still get pushback from certain comics. Like sure. I really want Rogan. Rogan really doesn't want to sing. But I mean I know if I can just get him to see it, he'll be like, Oh, I can do this. This we'll, looks we'll too get much him fun. On there, Yo, actually. I know we will, but it might take I believe it. I, well, that's somebody. He's a rock star comic in in the way that he has a fan base and and the, his attitude in stand up. So I'd love to have him on because I think he'd be perfect for it. I think he'd love it. I think anybody that does it will love it. I mean, we've I, we've only had really just like one show where I wasn't in love with it. But what was funny was that was one of the most well received ones from the audience. But me and the band, I remember, were just kind of like, meh. It was it was okay. Like it was fun. And but there was right. not there's there's always like magical moments in the jam like where it's just like you know you're you're seeing something that will never be seen again or that you are lucky enough to see and like at the last jam it's it could have been you know it was Sarah Silverman and then having Louis drop in oh man you know and he didn't want to sing you know he did not want to sing he's like I just want to do a set and I go well you you got to sing dude like that's that's the show that's the show like so here's the list of songs pick one. And if you don't, I can't put you up. And then the whole time I was just like, oh, shit, did I just like I, fuck up? I, I might lose Louie right now. I might lose Louie, and the audience wouldn't give a fuck if he sang or not. But uh, he did, because he heard the audience. He saw how dope it was, and, you know, I'm super, listen, man, when it comes to my stand-up, I'm funny just like everybody else. People are a million times funnier than me, better joke writers. But when it comes to this show, this is where my ego lies, because it's like 
there's what we're doing there, regardless of how many people try to could try to imitate it, like they're not putting everything into it like me and yourself and the band like we created that atmosphere they're the reason everybody stands up and goes ape shit that video if you if audience members or people listeners if you want to see something really cool joe DeRosa at the last show while he was singing kind of took his phone and just did like a 360 like look around while he's singing and you see the full audience and you see you and you see Johnny and you see the band and you see the audience going ape shit. And it's like, that's what the show is. Yeah. That, that energy that, that is not, you don't get in a regular comedy club, man. Like you, you get a, you know, like stand up comedy. I love it to death, but it's just not, you know, Every show is just the fucking same. It's just, hey, man, so here's your host. I'm bringing up this guy. He's done. And then the host goes back up. Hey, guys, you still good? I hate if a comic has to say, or the host has to go, all right, we got two more left. Are you guys ready? Like, that means the audience is like, fuck this at that point. Let's so. get into the early JMO years. Oh, okay. I'll tell you all about this. So, okay. so, lead so me. this is pre-jam. All right, we're going. We're going back. back dude. We're going the back. story. The story of you, you want to know the story of stand-up? How I got into this? Sure. The story starts uh, at six years old. Um, I've been by that point. I was already playing like kind of like piano and guitar. Like I was noodling around with singing. Like I was just really into music. My dad got me into music, and I was really, really into music. And then. Um, I mean, I was like six years old listening to like Iron Maiden and the Beatles and Frank Sinatra. And my dad really kind of turned me on to a lot of great things when I was younger. I remember watching Rebel with a Cause, Rebel Without a Cause, at a super young age. Like I watched movies that I shouldn't have watched at my age. Very inappropriate stuff. Hence why I cuss and uh, probably do drugs and not anymore, of course. But, you know, that being said, uh, so at six years old. My dad was watching Comic Relief, which was the that was like the you know the the best of the best. But it was you know if, if you've never heard of it, listeners, it was it was Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, and Whoopi Goldberg hosted this thing on HBO that was like three and a half hours long. It was a telethon to raise money for the homeless, right? Mm-hmm. And they had the best comics on it, and it was like every year that they did it, it was huge, man. And I remember watching George Carlin, and that was where George Carlin did his bit. My stuff is stuff. Your stuff is shit. And all it's like a house is just a place to keep your stuff. Like that was his whole thing. And I remember being like my dad laughing and me laughing at six and being like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, what is that? You know, kind of like finding out about stand up comedy then. And so growing up, it was always I want to be a, a rock star. I want to be like a musician mm-hmm. uh, or a singer, really. Uh, but I, I was always a funny guy and would use comedy to, like, deflect, you know, I was lower middle class, I didn't have good clothes, and I was a smaller dude, so, you know, people liked me because I was the funny guy. And We, we stayed the, the night at, at his mom's house, at Josh's mom's house, uh, and uh, in the morning, Josh walks out completely naked to go grab a cup of coffee. And his mom <laughs> out, Joshua, you pulled a lot of stunts in your days, but this is this tops them all. Well, that was for you guys. That was mostly for you oh, guys, everybody. We've seen was, everybody naked. It was so funny. And it was great. And, and then my he mom... just got coffee naked. And Joshua, you pulled a lot of stunts. <laughs> you huh? pulled a lot of stunts in your day, but this one. 
She didn't care. She'd see me naked. I'm not, I wouldn't walk down if you guys weren't there naked. I'd have underwear or some sleep sleep it pants would, on. It would be way creepier if you just did it alone and no audience. You're just like, Mom, this is just, this is just me. <laughs> She, I mean, at this point, anyway. So you know, okay, we're gonna so get we're so, not, so okay, go back, back into comedy. So you're a, fun, a funny little guy. Funny little guy. Growing up, I was always I'd always get in trouble because I had no filter. Like I would always say what was on my mind or the like in my classrooms, in class, in like uh, to to people. You know, so people either really loved me or they really were just like, oh, you know, what is this guy doing? Like he's so hyperactive. I was so ADD. Um, that was all over the place. And so high school, and I kept telling everybody, I want to be a comic. I want to be a comic. I want a comic. But I was like in bands with my friends, my friend Tassos and Ben and Kevin and my friend Chris. And I mean, we were just playing music like every day during the grunge era. Um, but I was super funny in, in high school. And, and then I had my own show. They, I did the morning announcements. Like I started doing, uh, you know, it was like, all right, guys, you know, so the football team is playing blah, blah, blah. So don't forget to get your boosters tickets and blah, blah, blah. And they had this show idea where the, the lady that ran it, they were like, let's have every Friday we'll do uh, music mania where they'll talk about like the music that's popular right now. And this black girl did it, right? I forget her name. And she did the first version of it. And at the end of it, she said something like, and, and don't forget, guys, to listen to the Million Man March theme song by, you know, EPMD or whoever the fuck wrote it. Yeah. And the teacher hated that. She was like, you, we, we're not promoting that. You know what I mean? Nothing against <laughs> black people, but just we're not promoting. Could you tone it down a bit? Yeah, it's like we can't have you. So we don't really, that was off the script, and we just really didn't like it or something. I don't know what happened, but the next thing I know, like two days later, the... By the way, you did the black girl like, listen to all you big boppers out there. (laughs) (laughs) And Dolphin, she was super, she was super, super ratchety for 1995. 1990? Was it five or... It was probably 95 or 96. It was 95. Um, So you start taking over, basically? So I took over, but that was like my first... I mean, like, I became, like, a celebrity because I would follow the script, but I would just tag stuff. Right. And then I'd, I'd riff a lot. And it was like I was a celebrity at my school while I was doing that. Like, I would walk down the hallways and people would be like, dude, you were so funny this morning. Oh, my God, that was great. And um, and then they, like, I guess, I don't know what happened. Like, I guess my senior year, I started doing it again. Um and then I don't know what happened, but they had to end it. And I remember I taped like the greatest episode that I had ever done for the final one. Like it was just the dopest thing ever. And of course the tape got messed up and then that one was never released. And it was like the best one because I was about to graduate. Um, but I was, I was also at that point very, very popular in high school because I was just the, the funny pothead kid. You know what right. I mean? And I could play music and sing and do all this stuff, you know? And so I won this. You play guitar, right? I play guitar, bass, drums, uh, piano. I can probably play Jay's violin if I just had enough time with it. Like, Mm -hmm. I can figure anything out. I've always been very... You just have an ear for for music. I have an ear for for the music, and I have a feel. I think Nick, the drummer in the jam... um, We'll always explain music as having the feel. And it's just like, you got to feel it. You got to like, you got to be able to, you don't have to be the best musician. You just have to know what sounds right, you know, and know, even if you're playing a power chord compared to doing a solo, you just got to know where to come in, when to stop, when to bring it down, this, that, and the other thing. And um, so I always had the feel. 
Uh, I'm not very good at all those instruments anymore because I hardly even play most of them. But I mean, if you give me some time with them, I'll be great. Um, not great. I'll be I'll be garage band status. So I end high school and I what happens? I I win all the superlatives for like you know most popular, most uh, not likely to succeed, most, like class clown and most humorous. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went up there like at the speech in front of the whole class. And this is like my first foray into stand up comedy where I was like, they're like, it was like speech, speech. And I was like, all right, guys, well, to win class clown, you got to have a lot of, it takes a lot of hard work. Okay. It takes a lot of dedication. And most importantly, a lot of bong hits in the morning. And everybody's like, ah! Like people go crazy up at this farm that we were having our senior picnic at. And like, I got in trouble, but no one cared. They were like, he's graduating yeah, he's in graduating. two days. Like, who gives a fuck? And people still talk about that shit, dude. Um, and so, and so that was it. So I was like, all right. And then the plan was I went to college um, and I dropped out immediately because I just wasn't in the mood for it. I wasn't feeling it. I was partying too much. I just really got into drinking and, and, um, I uh, I remember I was like 18 years old. I was like, all right, I want to stay up, start staying up comedy. So I found me and my buddy Paul were like, we're going to go to the Tower Records in Rockville, which is in Maryland, everybody. Uh, and we're going right outside of Washington, D.C. And we're going to find an open mic. And we went to the Tower Records and we got the city paper. We started looking. We couldn't find anything. And so then we just hung out there and then went and got food. And that was it. Now, I never did stand up comedy again. I did music from 18 until about 26, right? Mm-hmm. And I was in bands that were, like, good, and I was in shitty bands. But it was, like, we had one band called LED that was really good. It was uh, super – we had potential. We definitely could have made it. You know, we played a lot of really big venues in D.C. and Baltimore and in Virginia and Did you play the Black Cat as that we, band? We did play the Black Cat. Uh, in the main was that kind of cool to go back there years later with the goddamn comedy jam? And I think the main it was very cool, but that out of the tour was my least favorite of the shows because yeah, it's people who you knew. They, but they all they all suck, dude. Listen, if any of these people are gonna listen because sometimes they always do. Like you guys are, I love all of you. I have so much love from the people I grew up with, but like. It was just like, I remember being at the Black Cat in D.C. while we were doing the jam, and this, like, drunk girl that was, like, super hot back in high school comes up to me. She's all drunk, and she was, like, she's not as attractive as she is now, and she's just like, so this is what you do now? And I'm like, yeah, this is what I do. And she's like, and you're making a living at this? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, are you happy? And I'm like, very Okay, whatever. And I'm just like, Ugh. I'm like, you're such a, I, I was really like, you're a fucking cunt. Yeah. And you're locked in and you're, you gained about 40, 50 pounds <laughs> since the last time you were attractive in high school. I win. Booyah. I win, man. I win. And I'm not saying they all probably have way more stability than I do. And they know where they're going to be in six months and they know how much I've saved. And I have no idea, but I'm happy. And you and love that's your the life. Key. I do. That's the key. All right, so uh, so after the Capitol Records thing, you're around 26 whenever you start doing comedy. So yeah, so 26 years old, uh, I was really, really. This is right before I stopped drinking. Um, I was really like partying a lot. I was doing a lot of drinking, a lot of cocaine in uh, in Maryland, in Baltimore, and I was like, 
one night I was just I was just cracking people up. And I was like, dude, why aren't you doing comedy? Why aren't you doing comedy? And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna. And then that night, internet was, you know, it was like had started really where it's more accessible. You know what I mean? I think we had a cable modem in the house or maybe dial up or whatever. So I go upstairs and I just typed an open mic, Washington, DC, Baltimore, and I found one at this place called Wise Acres, uh, which doesn't exist. It's in a hotel like a Ramada in Tyson's Corner, Maryland, or Virginia, Tyson's Corner, Virginia. And I, I was like, all right, there's one on Wednesday and Thursday. And I drove over there Wednesday, sober, started drinking a little bit, signed up, didn't get picked, but I went up to the host and I said, listen, man, this, I've never done stand up before. Like, I got to do it tonight. Because if I don't do it tonight, I'm never going to come back. You know what I mean? Like, I need to do it. Because I'm here and I'm all those nerves. It's like the first time you're about to do something. Yeah. And this is a real nerve wracking thing. And he's like, all right, he's like, if this time at the end, I'll throw you up. And he did. And I did okay because I had nothing to judge it against. Right. Yeah. And then I went back the next week and brought a few people uh, that I was friends with and went up there and did a blatant Dane Cook impersonation. You know what I mean? Sure. Because I was very influenced by him at that time, along with like Chris Rock. So it's like a combination like Chris Rock, Dave, Ch not yeah, Dave Chappelle and Dane Cook. And the guy, you know, shits on me. Like, because he's like, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't think I was going to be able to catch this week's episode of Torgasm, but I don't feel like I need to because Josh wow. Myers just, actually, I even think I went by J Money at the time. Like, that was the name I chose. Because <laughs> a lot of my friends called me that, and I was like, well, that's what I'm going to be. J uh, Money was your red jacket. Oh, it was my red for, But for only, for only two open mics. Only two open mics. Two open mics. Uh, I did it maybe a handful more in the next like three months, and then I stopped because I got a job and uh, was working really hard for this TV show in Washington D.C. And it was a really dope job. I was a music director. All I did was just play music all day and pick music for segments that people were putting on this news program. Um, and then that shut down, and it was like, all right, I have money saved. Uh, I stopped drinking. Um, Everything's really going good in my life. I was like, I'm going to move to L.A. So I saved money with the the compensation. They give you a severance package because mm -hmm. the company shut down and they moved it to New York and they didn't bring anybody with them. And so I moved to L.A. And in the first, first, I moved to L.A. and I immediately started drinking and doing cocaine. Like I'd been sober for like a, almost a year. Yeah. Uh, but I was... Let me rephrase that. I smoked pot and I took painkillers like uh, on and off, but I stopped drinking and, and cocaine, which was like really what was at that time was my like whole partying. So thing. you start blowing through that severance money real quick. Oh, no, no, no. I, I had it, but I got hired immediately. I got, I started working for keeping up with the Kardashians as a PA. Oh, really? So I was making 600 a week plus. PA money is pretty decent. It's okay. It's, you can't, you really can't survive. If you know a, a, a healthy lifestyle, but you can survive on six hundred a week. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just it's a struggle. I right. think we all know that because we you know we're there or, or we've been there. Um, so you kept up with the Kardashians. So I kept up with them, but I one night I was doing cocaine. It's just, you'll find this funny. Okay, <laughs> so one night I was doing cocaine at Birds, which is a place on Franklin, right next to UCB, right next to UCB, and I was super hitting it off with this dude. Like we were just like blah blah blah. We're just getting along. We're doing both doing coke. I'm giving him the bag. He's giving me his bag. It's great. And then he, he's like, let's go back to my apartment and we'll hang out and we'll and we'll just do coke all night. And I'm like, I'm like perfect. So we're doing that, and. Um, and he says to me, he goes, so, so he's like, you're a comic, right? Because I kept telling people I was a comic. He goes, listen, I run this show. He's like, I, I want you to headline it. I'll pay you a hundred bucks. Uh, it's at the Tangiers on Hillhurst. And he goes, can you do, he's like, can you do it? He's like, all you got to do is 15 minutes. I was like, Pfft. 
done, dude. Now, I've never done a real show in front of real, real people yet. So I invite so many people. My cousin and his girlfriend and this kid I worked with and a girl that I used to go to college with that lived in Pasadena. And they brought a few people. And so I show up at Tangiers and I'm drinking like just scotch and just getting completely annihilated. And so nervous. I, I like I have no material. I think I started working on material like that morning, um, and and I show up and they're like, "So you're at the end?" And like literally, like everybody else, it's like a, it's like a what is not a burlesque show, but like a variety show. So we got some singers. You've got a couple comics, and you've got like you know ventriloquists or some shit. And I'm at the end, and he brings me up, and I remember uh, the room is completely dark except for one row. And of course, it's the only row uh, that you can see in there, and it's the people that I brought. And they're the only people in the whole place that are illuminated because they're sitting close to the stage. And I went up there and just, I mean, sweating profusely, not knowing to do with the mic cord, like playing around with it. Just, ah, I remember remember one of the things I said was... uh, I'm from D.C., which is cool if you like dressing like a pimp. Like, that's, I just remember saying that. Makes no sense at all. Nothing. It was just horrible. No laughs. And I remember my cousin who came just sitting there with the most fakest smile, trying not to like. Trying to be supportive. Trying to be supportive. Yeah. But, it's just, but it, it was like fading from like big smile to like nodding his head. This is good. To like, oh, my God, I can't believe my, he's just <laughs> eating shit. I think I got off after like three minutes. I got off after like three minutes and, and then that was it uh, for stand up for about another six months. It's <laughs> <laughs> just so bad, dude. Just, so, okay. Um, what was your conversation with the guy who booked you afterwards? He paid me. He paid you the hundred bucks. He paid me the hundred bucks. What a nice He's like, tough guy. crowd, man. He's like tough crowd. And I was like, yeah. I was like, sorry, man. I think I just drank too much. I apologize. I'm so sorry, man. I just fucking had a brain fart up there, dude. You know, I didn't know what. I, to be honest with you, I was so drunk. I can't even remember. It was super awkward. It was super awkward. Um, and so then, six months later. Six months later, uh, I got hired to do a show at a bar on Quenga that was hosted by the the really overweight guy from the movie uh, Varsity Blues. You know what I'm talking about? The real heavyset dude that like passes out. He's really skinny at this point too. Um, And I brought my roommates and I remember I did well, but I did better than I had done before. Yeah. Because it was almost like I actually had a little bit of material. I wrote down some stuff, you know, the week leading up to it. I kind of prepared. I didn't do any open mics. And then that was February, right? Then I did one more show where was it? I forget. But it wasn't until all right. So I so I stopped working on keeping up with the Kardashians. I stop. Um, oh yeah, it was so all right. So it's like May of as 2000. A, as a PA on sorry to cut you off on no as a PA on keeping up with the Kardashians. What was that life like briefly? Because I feel like I'll I'll kick myself if I don't. <laughs> It was well. This keep in mind, first season they were they were all. It was just she had a sex tape, and Bruce Jenner was the most popular guy on the show. Bruce Jenner was you know the Olympic you know he was like the celebrity of the seventies and eighties. You know Kim Kardashian just fucked uh, Ray J. That was it. She was nobody. I remember I didn't even know who the fuck they were, and then they they gave me a copy of the porno. Go watch this for research. (laughs) <laughs> and it was working for Buna Murray who did Real World and Road Rules and, and they've done a f- bunch of stuff um, my cousin's girlfriend who at the time girlfriend now wife got me the job 
And and it was it was the first season I literally I was because I was drinking nonstop, man, because I didn't know what to do in L.A. I just felt like that's what you do. You drink and you party. So every day I'd show up hungover and I did a good job enough for them to bring me back for the second season. Um, and then by that point, the show is starting to get really popular. Right. and The girls were starting to really get really recognized. And like, how were they on set? Kim, you barely talk to because she's super shy. Um Courtney, you talked to a lot, but she was kind of bitchy. And Chloe was the shit because she just is fun and she just likes to party and she's nice to everybody. Um, this is what's creepy about them now and later. Uh, the mom, Chris, is a cunt. Bruce is super nice. I can't believe he has a pussy, but here's what's funny. One well, time, not yet. well, here's what's funny. One time, uh, I was working on the show and I went up to, to the to the bedroom. They run into the bedroom and grab uh, this thing for Chris, and I walk in there, and Bruce is in the mirror, like, completely naked, looking in the mirror with his penis tucked like Buffalo Bill. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I got a pussy. My name's Caitlin. My name's Caitlin. And I go, whoa, whoa, I'm sorry. And, and then he goes, oh, my God. He's like, what was going on? That didn't happen, by the way, but uh, what if it did? And I was like, no, it. Oh, my God. He, he stuck with Caitlin. I thought he would have gone to, like, Cassandra or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so stupid. I tell people that all the time now. Dude, that's, like, my... That's the best. <laughs> dude, you got to do that on stage. Oh, I'll do it tonight, dude. Please I will do, do it, it from now on. Because oh, I don't know what to talk about about the show. Because nothing funny really happened. Um, they weren't... They weren't oh. it, wasn't, it was just a regular PA job. They were super nice. There was, you know, like I said, I didn't get along with Chris, but she was just, you could see why she succeeded because she's just, she doesn't take shit and she's, uh, she rules them with like a, like an iron thumb. The creepiest thing out of all my experience is what's going on now with Kendall and Kylie. Uh, not so much Kendall, but really Kylie, dude, because like I babysat them a lot. Like when they were shooting something, be like, Josh, go hang out with Kendall and Kylie and just play How video games. How old are with they? Them. One's, you know, one's, I think, 17 or 18, and one's maybe. 20 now which is scary um but i've been out here for eight years so i remember one being like super like 12 i don't mean dude, i couldn't even give you the ages but it's just like the kendall is like gorgeous she's a beautiful like beautiful 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 like model and she i remember you i saw when i when i was babysitting her i was like oh these girls are gonna well i didn't not so much kylie but kendall i was like oh, this one's gonna be the shit when she gets older you know what i mean yeah like not in a creepy way but you can identify like oh this kid like i'll see like I used to DJ sock hops and like like a, like a dude would come up you know with like like who's twelve years old I'd be like oh dude that kid's gonna be tagging pussy when he's fucking eighteen <laughs> and nineteen man you can just tell yeah. blue eyes you know good bone structure whatever and it's just funny how they've changed like that like I have no real I have some couple stories I got busted with cocaine in Mexico while we were shooting there and then I got hit by a car dropping them off from the what? airport. <laughs> All right, so I'm working on the show. I'll tell the story as fast as I can. I was, and they, they gave me the second season, and they were like, dude, you got to be sober the whole season. I was like, perfect. And then they're like, after a week, I was like, the best PA they had. Like, I was super focused. And then they're like, we're going to Mexico. Do you want to come? And I was like, yes. And on the airplane over, which we were going a day earlier before the Kardashian girls show up to set up everything, uh, the lighting guy, this guy, Chris Conate, goes, hey, by the way, Josh, like, there's cocaine everywhere. And immediately I'm just like, <laughs> just like, yeah, oh, fuck yeah, it's going to be great. And just like super excited. And we get there. We all start partying. We start doing coke. They we're drinking. We're staying at a resort called Mi Cabo. Um, and... Uh, 
we go out that night and we, I got a bag of Coke and I'm in the bathroom doing a bump. And next thing I know, this like short Mexican guy jumps over the stall and grabs me and throws me to a cop. And I'd like drop the bag of Coke in the toilet. It flushes itself, luckily. So I have no evidence. But the cop grabs me and now he's like, Coquina, Coquina. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I was just in there taking a shit. And then he goes, well, what's all that white stuff on your face? And my first response was just, man, that's just salt from your margaritas here. Come on, man. You salted it too much and it's all up in my nose now and blah, blah, blah. That's a pretty good, good quick response. I didn't buy it. I had to pay $200 to get released from uh, him for his custody. Um, but that was it. And then the boss, the, the production coordinator who was out that night told the production manager, the production manager was like, Josh, just get through the trip and we're going to fire you. This will be it. Like, I love you to death. Everybody loves you, but you can't do that. You could have gotten us in a lot of trouble if you got a busted with cocaine in Mexico. Right. And then I was like, all right. And I did my best to finish it up. And I had a great time. Like Adrian Grenier was there from, from Entourage and the Kardashians and all these Mexicans with money. And then I'm dropping the girls off at the airport and I get out to open the door and I just got hit by a car. <laughs> I just got hit by a car, like flipped over the car. <laughs> and I'm like laying on the ground, like, oh, my legs all fucked up. And, uh, and uh, this woman like that's, that, that hit me, she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, and like freaking out. And I was really fine. You know what I mean? My ankle, I sprained my ankle. That was really it, the way I landed. Because uh, I flipped in the air. <laughs> really I literally did Because I jumped. I saw the car. I was like, ah, and I jumped. And I went, ba-ba-gong. And I flew over the car and landed. And uh, the Kardashian sisters, this is how fucked up they They were like, oh, my God. Like, are you, Josh, okay? Oh, wait, we're about to miss our plane. Okay, so he's okay. And then just grabbed their bags and ran. Uh, and, uh, and then that was it. And then they didn't fire me because they felt bad for me. They let me, I got a little bit of workman's comp and then I came back to work and I was, and that, then I became like addicted to painkillers from that point on. That was what started my real painkiller addiction, uh, which, which then led into comedy cause that show wraps. And then I worked on a porno for a moment. I was a PA on a porno for like two weeks. What? It was, it was really nothing. It was literally just, you know, I fucked a lot of them because they were all super cool and they were liked me. Were you the me. boom guy? I was, no, I was just PA. I'd bring them water, PA. I'd bring them whatever they needed. Like, I just kept the, the, the craft service stocked and, you know, grabbed tape when they needed it, whatever. Um, and, and, then I, and then I was like, you know what? You're, I was like, you're blowing through, like, fascinating <laughs> Well, you're talking, because I want to get to the comedy. Because I, I, know. I don't know how long. You want to do this for an hour? We do, yeah. Is this, we, or is it, can we go over an hour? Like, I can talk about all this, but this is, right. I think we'll, the comedy we'll go journey, for an hour. the comedy journey is, is what, is, is, is I think what's really interesting. Um, because, so I finish on the porno, mm -hmm. and I... No I'm, pun intended, No everybody. pun intended. Hey. My mom is like, you need to get a job. Does and your mom know at this point that you are peeing on a... Oh, yeah, dude. My mom knows Doesn't everything. care? I, my mom is totally cool. When I worked at a strip club, my mom was cool with that. She's mm -hmm. just like, as long as I don't have to give you money, and you're working... You know, but if you're gonna fuck the girls, wear a prophylactic. Like my mom still calls them like rubbers of prophylactics. Um, so I finished the the, the paing work, and I was like, I, I'm like, I gotta find a job. Yeah. And I go out three days in a row, and I just go around from restaurant to, to club to this, that, the other thing. And, and then I see the comedy store because I'm up at Sunset, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm gonna. And pull this is in, in 2008. It's in 2008. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is May of 2008, and. Uh, I meet, I walk in and Tommy's there and I'm like, hi, I want, I want to put in, give you a resume, you know, to work here. He goes, well, we only hire comics. And I'm like, well, I'm a comic. And he goes, you are? He goes, well, come on Sunday and I'll put you up mm -hmm. and I'll see how I feel. And, uh, I showed up on Sunday. A couple of friends that I had came, um, 
And I did, I did okay. Like I didn't do bad. Yeah. But I did okay. And Tommy was like, you know, I just, you just got to keep hanging out. You got to keep coming here. And from that moment on, I hung out there the whole night, and I smoked weed with people, and just I think like some really famous comics. Burr went up, and uh, Sebastian Crush, who I never heard of Sebastian, Brett Ernstson, because it was you know friends and family there, so a lot of big poppins. And I noticed that this was the, this was the hangout, and I started meeting people and. And then I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do open mics. And then the next night I did an open mic. And then Tuesday came and everybody went to the improv. Um, and I'm there at the improv. And I remember uh, Akash Singh runs out. I didn't get up. I didn't get up at the improv. But Akash Singh gets out. And he goes, dude, this dude, Angelo, he's like, he's on stage right now. Rel, get in here. And Rel runs in. So I went in to watch. And that was when I saw Angelo Bowers for the first time. And he was so funny, just so, so funny, man. And I just was like, oh, this guy is so funny. He seems so cool. And then I immediately left there and went to Bliss Cafe, which was a really shitty open mic on Vine. And I got up and I told a joke and it got a weird laugh from one person in the back. And then I got off stage and Angelo was like, dude, that was that that colors joke was really funny. Uh, the movie colors is a shitty joke. I forget what it was. Um and I go, dude, you were funny. And then we started talking, and we immediately hit it off. And then I was like, it's on. Now I got my buddy. Now I got the person that is that I want to be like. You have a support wanna... system now. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. And that was my, and then he introduced me to Shevsky, and he introduced me to, well, I met Byron on my own. He introduced me to Rel, Yasser. And I just, like, I remember Yasser, like, immediately him and I, Yasser Lester, him and I immediately hit it off, and, and he was like, if you need a place to crash ever, you can crash in my house, because I think I was, I was on couches at this point. Um, and then that was it. It was just off to the races. Like, it, I remember, because uh, I got a writing job, not a writing job, I got a, uh, another PA job to get some money that lasted about a month, so I wasn't able to do a lot of open mics, but I always like to say my start date of stand-up comedy is August 1st because it was right around that time between July 4th and August 1st that I said, this is what I'm going to do forever now. And I'm going to do it every day, nonstop. And that's what we did. Me, Ange, Byron, Rel, Gerard, because Gerard Carmichael had just shown up mm-hmm. with a guy named John L who was like way bigger personality. Like, like Gerard was very quiet, like not hugging people, but he was just super quiet at first because Jono was his roommate and Jono was like the big personality. Um, I find it funny that like, because Jono would get like shows all the time, even though he sucked because he just had this big, because he was Sarah Silverman's cousin or something. <laughs> and um, you got to work every angle out every here. Every angle, dude. It's a, it's a tip on the building years that you guys should listen to. And I wasn't doing very well, like, because I was hanging out with some funny guys that already kind of had their voice. Byron had already been doing comedy for three years at that point. You know, uh, Angelo was immediately funny, and Gerard was very funny as well. And I was really, I'd have a good set and a lot of bad sets, and then a good set and a couple bad sets at open mics. And then um, Rita gave us, Rita at the, the, she was a manager at the Hollywood Improv, would watch every open mic, and she decided in September she was going to do the best of the open mic, a show called The Freshman Class. Mm-hmm. These are the next comics, the best of the open mic. And she picked me, Ange, Gerard, uh, Rel, Byron, Yasser, Tony Hinchcliffe, Jade Catapretta, and Jono. Was Shevsky on it too? Shevsky wasn't on the first one. He was on the second one. Mm-hmm. And Jono. Which and Jono he, forced he, his way on. Do you know if he's still... Jono lives in uh, New England. There you go. Um, he left very, very shortly 
after maybe he maybe he was here for about a year. Gotcha. Um, so you're doing the freshman show at the Improv, and and I was a, I was I was a, I was a, you know I, I always kid around and say I was a junkie, but I was a junkie. I had, I had a very bad painkiller addiction, and because painkillers just took away the the fear of going on stage. You know what I mean? Took mm-hmm. takes all it gives you a lot of confidence and. I remember I got loaded that day on painkillers. Like I already was kind of involved with them every day, but like that day I was like, my nerves were like through the roof. And I mean, maybe I had like a good five or a decent beginner five. You know what I mean? And everybody goes packed house, dude. It's a packed sold out Hollywood improv show. And all, a lot of our, for a lot of us, it's our first one. And everybody, I, when I say this, I mean this not being cocky, not being arrogant. Everybody eats shit except for me. And I fucking destroyed to the point where Rel Battle, who has given me no love my whole life, walked up to me and goes, I don't know you were going to be that funny. You killed it, man. You killed it. Like he gave me a compliment. <laughs> Byron, Angelo, I remember so many people came up to me were like, dude, you crushed it. And at that moment, that was when you knew. That's, I already believed it before him, but that's when I think other people saw that there's something there. Sometimes it takes moments like that, man. It, there's potential there. They're like, oh, he's he's got it. It's just a matter of time. Right. Because the, the bad shows were constantly outweighing the good. And then over about the next first year, they, they evened up a little bit. And then in year two, I started having way more good shows than bad shows. Yep. And I was writing a lot, and I was going with Angelo, and Angelo would, would I'd say something in a conversation, and he'd be like, that's, that's the joke. Oh, you got to tell that on stage. And a lot of times he would give me the shitty jokes to tell because he would be like, oh, that's, that's not funny at all, but do it. Um, and then you start going from open mics until you start getting more and more shows. Um, so, yeah. As, so as you're year two, year three, year four, and you're, uh, what kind of jobs are you working during this time to survive? Because it's like pay bills and, and all I, that stuff. I, in the first year, I worked at a waiter for like two months. I went about nine and a half, ten months without a job. And I was living on couches and surviving on whatever my parents gave me or whatever money, if I could do like day work. I had a buddy that would like let me do yard work for me. He paid me a hundred bucks. Yeah. Uh, and I'd have to make that last for a week, you know, or, or whatever. Um, my parents bailed me out a lot. My, and we have no money. My, my mom believes in me. My dad didn't. My dad didn't say he didn't believe in me. My dad just was like, no, we don't. That's my money. Right. My mom would secretly send me $200 like a month or maybe sometimes four. Like I owe my parents a lot. My mom, especially she's my biggest believer. Uh, and I kind of would lie a little bit to them to make them just, stuff's going on, man. I just had a meeting with, you know, with uh, sure. William Morris and I, I just lie just to, just to let them believe that something was going on. Cause I knew, I knew. And that's the funny thing, Jeremiah. And I think, you know, too, because you know, having really gotten to know you over the last year, it's like that's all we have is just that belief. We have to believe in ourselves more oh, than yeah. anybody because because if we're getting rejected constantly, we have to say, I'm better than this. I'm going to get it. Just stick it out. Keep working harder. And and that was what I did. I did I three or four open mics, and, and then I got a job, luckily, as a strip club DJ during the day. Um, and that's what kept me. And also then at that time, I started dating this girl who – really had an organized life, nice apartment. Um, wasn't making a shitload of money either, but for some reason we lived like, like, like we lived, like we both had money. I don't know how we made money. She did some things that were a little shady to make money. I'll say that. And uh, she called me out cause I was talking about her on another podcast and she was like, why would you talk about that? So for, uh, out of respect for her, I'm going to leave it out, but we, we survived and we survived very nice. And so I'm living in this beautiful apartment and, and then Angelo is staying over 
And I was strip club DJing like four or five days a week, making, you know, uh, maybe $500 uh, a week. And every night I could do stand up. And I wasn't really going out for auditions at the time. So it was fine, like to work the day. Um, and then, um, where do you want me to go from here? What, what, what basically was it the jam that started tipping things? Uh, I know like that's been like a big life changer, but like at what year were you feeling like you're, you, you know, you're starting to like, uh, more spots everywhere around town. You're starting to grow as a comic. Get Year auditions. Three. Year three. three? Well, all right, so I started, I'm dating, I'm dating my ex. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, somebody, I find out there's this place called the downtown comedy club, which mm-hmm. was on, uh, it's, it's, it's not there anymore, but it was in the, sh- like fifth and fifth in between spring and Maine. It was owned by Garrett Morris, right? Garrett Morris and Kevin, uh, former cast Garnier. member Saturday Night Live. And yes. And I owe them a lot. That's what made me a better, that place is what made me. That's where you got all your reps in. That's where I got that. every dude, every Friday. Cause they loved me. And every Friday and Saturday, like I was their Dalia. Like I had the best spot every Friday and every Saturday. And I would crush, would crush. Cause that was where I, I developed so much material, man. And I just got so tight doing 15 and like, um, it was just great, man. And, and for almost, uh, you know, two years, like every Friday and Saturday, I had a spot there mm-hmm. every single weekend. I maybe, you know, maybe like a year and a half. And then, um, some, you know, some stuff had happened. Right. Unfortunately. And, uh, and Angelo passed away. And then I, I kind of like didn't know what I wanted to do. I almost died in a car accident, um, where I lost my friend. Um, and at this point, like I'm already, I'm not a regular at the comedy store, but I'm, I'm a call. I'm like a recall in avails yeah, for like friends and family, friends and family. Yeah. And, uh, I would do well. I would do well every time I was there. My shows were like, they were all going really, really well. And then the accident happens and, um, I was, I became really depressed and like, it, it just, the, the accident is the defining moment of my life. And I hate to say it like that, regardless of what good things happen, that moment right there has changed my outlook on God, my outlook on life, my outlook on so many things, because it was like, how can you go from having this beautiful relationship and this beautiful, like love of your life as with that I had connection I had with Angelo and then just have that taken away at a moment when I needed him the most, because yeah. I had just broken up with my girlfriend. Uh, I was lost. I was like kicked out of my apartment. I had to find, I had to move into this shitty place, but I was like, I have Ange. It's all, it's going to be even better. Cause we're both going to be you know, great comics. He had just beaten uh, the tumor and cancerous tumor he had. And I was so excited to come back and, and just start full force rocking comedy with him. And then he dies horribly, uh, so tragically. And, um, and then I, I took like two weeks, I was in the hospital and then I got out and the only thing that kept made me happy or made me feel normal was going on stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was lucky where a lot of people, you know, the doors were open. Everybody was like, won't put you up. You know what I mean? But I kill every show. Also, I was loaded on painkillers and I was just doing like, you know, very honest sets. I don't, I have a lot of them recorded. I haven't listened to any of them, but they were just, I was just getting a lot of reps in. And seven months after that, I'm some hardcore addicted to painkillers. Hardcore. It's, I mean, like $200 a day habit at least, at least $200 a day. Just, been going to drug dealers or doctors. And you're able to fuel this with the strip club money that you're working with as a um, DJ at the time, or, or how's it coming? 
basically a lot of people gave me money. Mm-hmm. A lot of people donated money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just spent it on drugs. Because I, I wanted to die. I, w- I was literally doing drugs to die. Yeah. I, I was lost. I, I mean, it was to lose your girlfriend, have your girlfriend come home one night and say, hey, so I'm leaving you for this guy that you thought was gay. And she didn't come home until eight in the morning, which means she'd fucked him. Even though we weren't doing well, it's still like, ugh, that's a shot in the chest. And you're, you're living together and you have dogs together. And it's like, what yeah. the fuck am I going to do? And then your best friend of your entire life, the one, you might make two re- or three real connections with people your whole life, like real connections. And then he was gone. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And I just, you know, a lot of people donated money. I got a nice little chunk of money for uh, insurance settlement. Not enough to, you know, live for years. It wasn't like I got hit by somebody that was like, you know, had a million dollar premium. Because that case could have been worth millions if it was like Walmart that hit me. Right. You know what I mean? Nothing against Tracy Morgan. But it's like, of course, Tracy Morgan gets hit by the Walmart truck when he's already got millions of dollars. You know, and I get hit by the guy that has no insurance. And... I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I wanted more money, but you know what I'm saying. It's yeah, like, yeah. like I had nothing. I had like I'm in $160,000 worth of medical bill debt because of this, um, which I'll never pay. I will never. I'll file BK before I ever pay that fucking that. that oh yeah. That, I would never pay that bill because uh, he was a drunk driver that hit us. That being said, uh, the insurance money, some donations, like that's all I did. I just spent it on drugs. My mom would give so me money. Are you doing comedy? You're, you said you're hitting a lot of stages at that. Oh, time. I was getting up a lot. So you're still able, despite you know this horrible situation that's go- going on, you're still finding a way to to kind of put at least some positive energy into your comedy and stand up and and grow in that regard. Yes, and I'm doing a lot of spots, and then I got sober. Cause it was like seven or eight months later. I was like, I had to, this is getting out of hand. And after like five days of hell, cause it was really hell. Like I should have gone to like a rehab, like, but I did it all in my room. I had a friend, another comic, uh, who I was honest with kind of helped me got sober. And then I just focused. And so, but during this time, and this is the, this is kind of where it really starts taking off during the time when I was still on painkillers after the accident, I showcased for Montreal mm-hmm. and I did really well in January, which is literally, the end of the month um, after the car accident. Car accident was on January 3rd. This is like the 25th of January. And I do really well. And two days or a week later, I run into Eric Abrams, who is kind of like the guy in control of the showcases. And I said, so am I getting a call back? And he goes, he goes, you're on the bubble, man. I'm not going to lie. And then in February, February like uh, 22nd, 3rd, something around then, I got a call. Do you want to showcase again for Montreal for the callback at Meltdown? I was like, of course. And I show up and I'm loaded, by the way. I'm on Oxycontin, like really fucked up. But I'm but I'm not like the oh my God, Josh is fucked up. I'm you would have no idea. I'm just very relaxed. Right. Very confident. Everybody eats shit on this showcase because the audience is terrible. It's really bad. Um, but I and I didn't do great either. But the thing was I just didn't care. I was just having fun. And I mean, my set was super fun. And after the showcase, uh, Jeff Singer and uh, Robbie Prawl come up to me individually and they're like, why haven't we ever heard of you? Like, you're terrific. Like, we fuck, we both loved you. Like, yeah. like you're going to get it. You just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to get it. Maybe not this year, but you're going to get it. Like, right. we, you're on our radar. Like, tell us about you. And I talked to them for a little bit. And then I got sober and then five days later, my first show after getting sober was the final callback for Montreal. 
and I really did bad. Like I did so bad that halfway into my set, I just go, Oh my God, I hate all my fucking jokes. And the room just explodes with laughter. Like, cause I was honest for that one moment. I was like, right. I was, this, I should not have done the showcase that night. Like I was still a little off and I go up to Robbie and Robbie's like, dude, he goes, we love you. Just keep doing what you're doing. You'll get, you'll get new faces. Eventually you'll get the nasty show. You'll get whatever. We love you. Yeah. Um, and then a year goes by and I'm just doing spots and, uh, and I started going to New York a lot more and, and I, New York really just took a shine to me. Like the bookers there really loved me and I always, I always do well in New York. Um, and next thing I know, uh, I'm in New York. I showcase from Montreal prior to leaving for New York. I'm in New York and I get, they're like, you got your final call back in May. And I remember I ran the set that I had twice at the stand the next morning i fly in from new york cut the trip short fly back to la byron picks me up takes me to my house i shower i go right to the improv i'm third on the bill had to follow esther little esther um and i just i just killed it like i knew it man you know what i mean i was tagging jokes that i had never said before yeah, yeah. the audience was fucking on board and at the time, I had, like, a shitty, shitty agent. Like, he's really shitty. I mean, nice guy, super nice guy, just not, couldn't not, do anything. Not connected. Not connected. Um, everybody knew who he was. Everybody was like, oh, he worked so hard. But long story short. <laughs> <laughs> we know who he is. He works really hard, but, you know, we're not a bit. We're just fan. not going to work with yeah, him. Yeah. So, so they, um, two or three weeks later, I remember I was, like, calling my mom. I picked my mom up from the airport. Um, and I'm kind of, like, talking about how nothing's going on in my career. And then I got the call from my agent that I got new faces. And, um, and then from there, um, it went, I, I went to, I went to Montreal. It went super well in the sense of all my sets. I did great, but I mean, I, I did re I hate to say it like that. Cause I hate saying I crush, man. I only, there's only a few moments where like in my standup career, I'm like, I fucking crush. I'm always breaking shit down. And like, that didn't go well. That didn't work. I fucked up that line. That's wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I crushed the first showcase. The first two minutes were a little off. The last four were just boom, 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 boom. Um, and, uh, and nothing happened, man. Nothing happened. Like I know this is in 2013, 2013, no managers wanted me, no bigger agencies wanted me, nothing. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I was like, I'm going to move to New York and just be the best comic I can be. And then I, um, and then I just, I mean, I was so depressed, dude, just so depressed because this is supposed to be your big break. Nothing happened. And I was completely heartbroken, completely about to give up, or at least, like I said, move to New York. And then out of nowhere, Jack um, Michaelman says to me, because I'm doing shows all the time, but I'm just, you know, you're not getting anything. I'm not auditioning for stuff that I want. I'm always going, my agent was sending me out for like the shittiest, like parts that I'm not right for. Like, obviously I'm reading the script. Like, I'm not a dad, not with my voice, dude, (laughs) unless it's the dad of like like a deadbeat dad. You know what I mean? So, sorry, I just burned you with my cigarette. <laughs> yeah, you know it's like, all right, so I'm taking you to you know to pool practice. Uh, it's like whatever. I'm like, so make you, sure you put sunscreen on, Jimmy. Yeah. Oh, you want me to lather it up on your shoulders real quick? <laughs> all right, perfect. Yeah, that's the last thing I should be doing. Like, why did why they hire a pedophile as the father in Fuller House? All right, so <laughs> I, I was why wondering- is why is his wardrobe literally a bush? 
<laughs> so, so here's where it changes. So Jack comes up to me. So I had this idea for the jam for years because we've done. I had done different inclinations of it before, but it never was like a structured show. Yeah. And also, so I sat on the idea about comics singing a song for about four years, and not even maybe about three. And uh, I remember I was. Jack comes up to me and he's like, dude, like, I want to do a show with you. I want you to host it. And I go, well, I got this show idea. And I told it to Jack. Jack's like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. He's like, uh, well, let's let's start getting it together. And then I ran into Burr. And I was I kind of told him, I was like, ah, I don't know. And then I ran into Burr at the Comedy Store. And I had jammed with Burr many times prior at the Unknown Theater, which was a big stepping stone in my career. The Unknown Theater, now defunct. Saratiana, Lara Vidavia, uh ran it. And then we took it over. And I brought a house band on, which is Elemento P, mm-hmm. who is the goddamn band now. And Joe Rakowski uh, and Nick Libertor and Jay Golden. Jay Golden. And um, they say to me, oh, so I run into Burr and Burr's like, dude, let's start jamming again. And I go, well, I got the show idea. And I pitch him the idea. And he goes, I'm in after June 20th. And that was the moment that I knew. I was like, now I got it. Because doing a show in LA is so scary. Oh, yeah. You know, you don't know if anyone's going to show up. You can build the dopest lineup. It doesn't mean people are going to show up. You don't know if they're going to help promote. And I found the venue, the lyric. Suddenly, I just stumbled into it. And since July 20th, my life has been different. Like, it's been it's been incredible since that first show. And I mean, there's ups and downs. In 2014, In right? 2014. Yeah. There's been ups and downs, of course, because that's your life. I've gotten, you know, rejected for certain things. I've gotten... I've gotten far in certain auditions or whatever, but this, the jam is just changing my life every month. It gets bigger and bigger and another write up and another festival and another this. And it's just, and then we added you on like halfway into the whole show and that changed the dynamic of it where it got even wilder and crazier. And, and so I have someone I can really play off of. And that really shows both of us, like, you know, where you're, what, what you're capable of doing and what I'm capable of doing even more. And it's just, it's just insane, dude. It's insane, like that. I didn't start it to expect anything, Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what to do anymore. So I just want to have fun in this funky ass, fucked up town. That was my look at it. It was like, I want to have fun once a month doing something I love doing and something that I'm good at that can really, really right. showcase just me having, you know, me being seen, not me being how talented I am, but Santino said it best. Andrew Santino said, he goes, dude, you created something that showcases why you're dope. And no one else can do that. And I really think that. I because we've had some copycat shows. I don't I'm not afraid of any of them. Right. I don't give a fuck who they bring in. Bring the biggest rock stars in the world. It's not gonna be what we're doing. Because what we're doing is we're giving everything, man. And um it's been off to the races ever since. So it's like, you know, there's hiccups, pitfalls, whatever, but this is this is since the jam, since July twentieth, two thousand fourteen, my life's been And what's really cool very exciting. July of two thousand fifteen. Josh gets invited back to Montreal, but this with my time own show. with his own show. And, and it crushed. And we got a lot of write-ups. He got it a was, lot of write-ups, and... It got us a lot of work for the future, which yes. is great. Because that's all Montreal is. It's a trade show of your talent. New Faces is just a trade show where bookers go, ooh, he could do this, or he could do that, or he could blah, blah. And the reason why I'm pointing that out, uh, um, putting bold print on that, is Josh said that he was super depressed, didn't know what to do. He kept doing what he loved and decided to to take a risk put out his own show which showcased himself was a fun thing that was not only fun for him but got the audience involved and super fun for them as well and then it became this awesome experience so basically what i what i'm trying to stress here is i commend you for not giving up after a lot of 
basically crappy things that happened over and over. Well, I mean, Jeremiah, I think you can agree. Like, life isn't easy for anybody. Even yeah. the I know the richest people. I have these cousins that are super wealthy that that I mean, never had to worry about money because that's that's what my family always had to deal with. Is like, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to get this? And I still worry about money, just like everybody else. Um, but I remember these these relatives that are like super wealthy and they they had more problems than anybody. Um, and it's like it's I was struggling just like everybody else and. Um, we've all been through stuff. I mean, God, you know, God forbid anybody has to ever go lose somebody the way I did, but that happens to people all the time. You know what I mean? And we, what am I supposed to do? Like I, if I gave up from the car accident, most importantly from the car accident, mm-hmm. Angelo would hate me for that. Yeah. Cause I, cause of Angelo course. can't do stand up anymore. And of he, course. he believed in me more than anybody. He was that support system that I needed after Montreal, the person that, cause I was so depressed after the first Montreal run where I was like, I just showcase for everybody. And I, where's Angela to tell me how dope I am or how funny I am and this, and nobody was doing that. I remember coming back and everybody being like, dude, like, you know, what new agency are you signed with? And I was like, ah, I'm still rep by Shaky's Pizza. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it's not that good. It's not going well. Still, uh, quote unquote, in talks with some people. Yeah, I, I would lie. Oh, I would yeah. be like, yeah, because you don't want to just tell. But I tell of the people, I remember Fahim Anwar talked me off a ledge. Like, I was like literally about to cry. Uh, and he was just like, dude, this is my experience. Like, nothing happened with me either. I didn't get a new manager and get a new agent. It just, and I did well. It just, that's, it's not what it's supposed to be. Right. It's not what you expect anymore. It doesn't change lives. Um, and this is all I'm good at. That's the other reason that I didn't give up is that I'm, I'm the only job I never got fired from is one where I'm a performer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've always been able to go up in front of people and entertain them, whether through music or, or stand up. And I have no backup plan. I have a college degree that I've never used, a filmmaking career, a filmmaking degree and a philosophy degree. And I and I just I use the philosophy a little bit, but I mean when you're talking about sex jokes, I don't see how you're using anything about Hegel or Kierkegaard in there. But uh but the thing is it's it's just like it's 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 this is it. This is it. This is all I've all I've ever wanted to do. And I don't want to be my dad. My dad Wanted to play jazz music his whole life. And then he was like, well, I'll be an accountant. And then he just ruined his life by not following his dreams. And I think towards the end of his life, before he passed away, he actually said how proud he was. That he was like, you know, that you did it. You've done it. And I have friends when we went back to D.C. and did the jam that were like, we're all just so in awe and so proud. Because you said you were going to do it and you did it. And so many people don't, man. This is it, dude. This is our only shot at life. Like, you know, hopefully we're reincarnated and we get another shot. But realistically, no one fucking knows. So I don't want to, I'd rather die homeless knowing I gave it everything I had than than wealthy uh, doing a job that I hate. Sure. You know? So I want to close with uh, the last segment of the podcast. And we've talked quite a bit about your struggles over the years. But this is called the Hollywood Bitch Lab. Oh. <laughs> that's that's a sound effect. That was a great one. That's, that's, that's right from his mouth, ladies right. and gents. So you mentioned you mentioned the Montreal thing, uh, not not getting anything the first time uh, after after getting new faces. Was there another moment where you you just felt like a total crap sucky moment where you felt like beat down by the, Hollywood. There's nothing, it, there's nothing in, I've been passed over for roles that I've come close to and stuff like that. But that guy was better or he was right for it. Um, and I got to believe that. 
Right. Because that's 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 what gets you through these shitty auditions. Do you Nothing, have a specific story about No, the the main the main beatdown is is Montreal. Mm-hmm. Montreal 2013 is dude, like imagine crushing so hard. Nobody really, really killed that first show, the 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 first the main showcase or the second or third. But they had to keep putting me last after that first showcase because nobody could follow me. I was just on fire, man. And that first showcase in front of all of Hollywood, I remember Brian Baldinger coming up to me and being like, you killed, dude. Like, nobody got a bigger laugh than you got on that one joke. That one joke, once you went, because that was, I told you, I settled in and I focused and I was like, all right, slow down and just, and just do you, but just take your time. And I crushed everybody that night at the Hyatt was coming up to me, dude. Set of the night, set of the night, dude. Shaking my hand. Yeah, I'm from CAA. Nice to meet you, though. And then walking away. No cards, no nothing. That was it. And the big slap is, is you know, literally the next year watching every single person, and I mean everyone that I went into new faces with, being on television, changing their lives. Describe like, some of the people because this is actually... Pete Davidson. This is actually a pretty impressive cast list of... T- of who Josh went to Montreal with. Pete Davidson, I'm very close to Pete, and he deserves it because he's super funny. But Pete, Pete Davidson, Pete if Davidson, you don't know, he's on Saturday Night Live now. Saturday he's, Night Live, uh, hysterical comic, super dope guy, did the jam in Montreal, mm-hmm. loves love that guy to death. Chris Stefano, super funny, MTV, like on his nuts, guy code, girl code, he's done Letterman. Kevin Christie, Masters of Sex. But one thing I love about Kevin was that Kevin was in stand-up for like 10 years prior to getting yeah. new faces, so yeah. he deserved his break and got everything. Um, Alice Wetterland, uh, you know, a funny comic, but is now in every, she's just gets so castable. I mean, you know what I mean? She's like a pretty ugly girl. Like she even describes herself that way. And she's in everything coming up. She's constantly in stuff. The interview, Silicon Valley. She's in this new show on TBS. Um, Andrew Santino, Rick Glassman, uh, Rick Glassman's on undateable. Uh, Andrew Santino is in the new, uh, Showtime, uh, pilot coming out. He's on mixology. Sam Morrill, who's been on Conan and yep. just did his half hour and, you know, and done this. Uh, Byron Bowers, you know, who... Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Pete Holmes show. Pete Holmes show. Eric Andre's show. Yeah. Um, shit. Uh, Aparna Nancharla writes on so many different TV A shows. A lot of late night shows. A lot of late yeah. night shows. Um, who else? Oh, Ian Carmel. Wrote on Chelsea lately. Now he's one of the head writers of James Corbin. Um, fuck, dude. Who else? Who else? Who else? Andrew Schultz, MTV, all over. <laughs> Has three three of his own shows on and- on on MTV or MTV Two. Uh, hold on, dude. I, there's so many more. Um, fuck, fuck, fuck. Ian Carmel, Sean Donnelly, uh, Letterman, headlines all over the place. Just did a half hour. Um, I'm leaving out somebody that's like enormous. I know that. It was just, dude, it was like... So that puts it in perspective for you guys. Basically, of course, Josh is happy for all of his friends and stuff that's going on, but it's hard, especially whenever you feel like you do really well at something and other people are telling you how well you did and then nothing comes to fruition from it. But he kept on trucking along, made the goddamn comedy jam, and it's going to be one of those shows. It's going to be it's going to it's going to be a show that goes down in history my friend. I think that I think that's the coolest thing in the world. It's a um a very very famous comic. I'm not going to say who said it, but a very very famous comic says, "Dude, you're you're changing stand up. You know that, right?" And he goes, 10 years he goes, "If you die, you know, tomorrow like 
20 years from now, they're going to be talking about your show. It's, it's a Dublin's type thing. And I'm saying it is Dublin's because Dublin's like gave Dane Cook and Alonzo Bowden and so many comics. Like Dublin's was the spot in the early 90s, but or the late 90s, early 2000s. But I'll tell you the truth, man. Like, um, and I know that. Like, I know like what we're doing there is, is something special, man. And I'm, I'm super proud of it. I, my ego as a comic is super low. Like, I'm, I'm funny just like everybody else. You're hysterical. I know so many comics that are, like, better than me or I think is better than me as writers, as this, as that. What, we've, what I've done with the jam is something I'm going to be proud of forever. It's because it, it really is me. It's exactly what I want to do. I want to be the rock and roll Dean Martin. I want to fucking do an hour of music and comedy. And if I'm playing Vegas or I'm playing Pittsburgh, I want the same goddamn show with that band just doing that. And I think that's what's going to be dope. I want to be like the male Bridget Everett. You know what I mean? Just put on a fucking show for people. Be an entertainer, not just a comic. And that's something that Tommy always used to say to me at the comedy store. He goes, dude, you're, you're an entertainer. Like, you're not a comic. You're an entertainer. But it means you're funny and you, you're, you're a comic as well. But you have so many different things that you're good at. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm like right now, like I said right now, I don't have a job and, and I mean, but there's so much stuff coming up and it's like, I've never been more afraid or excited right now that right now I have no idea. Like, dude, I, you have to understand, bro. Like I buy lotion that's like $60 and from working <laughs> at the strip club, I bought, I eat organic and honey. That's like $70 and like all this shit. And it's like, how am I going to afford my Manuka honey that has from New Zealand? <laughs> and I'm like, ah, I'll figure it out. You know what I mean? That's and I'm more excited now than I've it, ever man. been. Good, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You know, I love you, bro. I love you to death, dude. Uh, Let's plug some stuff. Another thing that we didn't even get into, but uh, we'll talk about another time. Uh, I had Avery Pearson on every Saturday at midnight. You had him on before you had me? Yep. He's not even a comic, for Christ's sake. He's <laughs> Whoa. Avery's Whoa. one of my best friends. He, we're, know, all right, we're like the three-headed beast of a show called The Midnight Snack at the Hollywood Improv, which, which I feel is also very, very... It's a big part of, I mean, we're changing it. We're, we're, they, they've always done midnight shows there that take the 10 o'clock audience, but I think what you, uh, myself, and Avery are doing is just so much fun, man. Like, I have a show tonight, and I was like, can Avery come? Do you have a piano? And I'm just like, perfect. Like, Because yeah. then I can even do stand-up and fuck around with him, and that's where it's at. So what we do there is incredible. So if you get a chance, not only come to the jam, but come to the Midnight Snack at the Hollywood Improv, 11.30 p.m. between midnight start time, Sometimes 1230, yeah. depending if it's a black show at 10 o'clock. <laughs> if it's an urban show. If Esau McGraw is, is, is headlining at the 10 o'clock show, we'll start at about 1. Yeah, we're there every Saturday. And then uh, what your what's the Twitter for yourself and the jam so people can check that out and any online stuff? Everything for me is at Josh Adam Myers website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's J-O-S-H-A-D-A-M-M-E-Y-E-R-S. For the jam, it's at the GD Comedy Jam on Instagram and Twitter, and just the goddamn Comedy Jam on Facebook. Uh, we're getting a website together for it, but uh, it's it's fun, man. Lyric Theater, Lyric Theater. Just look at go to the Lyric Theater LA. Dot com and you'll find uh, the lineup for every jam. And the next out. show is this Monday at 9 p.m. at the Lyric. Which they, this, but this isn't coming out until Wednesday, right? No, this is coming out today. Oh, it's coming out today. Yep. Oh wow, you're 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 uploading <laughs> right as soon as we're done with it. Cutting it to the wire. Yeah. Yeah. It's this Monday. Kevin Nealon, Maj Brani, Steve Ranazizi, and uh, Harlan Williams, and uh, a huge drop in that I'm 80 percent sure is coming. Um, and then the next one after that is February 
eighth. February eighth, uh, and we've got some we got some huge comics, man. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be really good, and the future's looking bright for it. So, keep uh, just check my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for finding out what festivals we'll be at. We'll be at Moon Tower in Austin. We'll be at Bonnaroo in Tennessee. Um, it's gonna be great. It'll be very great. Dude, keep up the awesome work. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I love your brother and uh, continued success, my friend. Thank you very much. Looking, looking forward to sharing many stages with oh, you. Oh, it's good, dude. Many. 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 Not just a few. Many. Many. <laughs>